0: The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. All right, all right, good, morning. good morning. So good to see you guys. Um, so I have a little bit of a story to start off with this morning. Um, Thanksgiving obviously was this week. Do you guys have a good Thanksgiving? Solid. How many of you guys gained weight? Yeah, me too. How many of you guys have started a diet already? <laughs> Day three, baby. Let's go. Okay. Um. So we were down in California last weekend. Uh, Anthony, a good friend, servant of the church, led worship for us. Um, and my mom was getting married, so I was down there hanging out with my family that I don't get to see very often. My sister lives in Mississippi, and so. She has two kids, one of which I hadn't met yet, so we were just chilling with them, and and uh, I had heard that there was a storm coming, okay? <laughs> now, I don't know, something about a bomb cyclone, right, kept popping up on Google every time I looked up. That's what it said. So it kept popping up on Google, and I just didn't want to admit that this was going to prevent us from getting back up from California, right? Like, I was with my sister, and we had three days, and I was like, this is vacation. I can't leave on Monday. That's just cutting it short. So, eh, maybe the storm just won't hit, and we can get back on Tuesday anyways. Forget what the weathermen say. They're never right anyways. That was my attitude. Well, (laughs) I was wrong, and, uh, Tuesday morning, we wake up, and sure enough, the weather, even in Sacramento, is just starting to change, and my dad was with us at the time, but he was going to come up for Thanksgiving to our place, and he's all worried about it as well, and ultimately, we leave kind of around lunchtime on Tuesday, and, and praise God that my aunt and uncle live in Redding, and I was like, well, we have the Wednesday night Thanksgiving service. I have to get back for this service or else I'm going to be in big trouble. So we decided to drive to Redding and stay with my uncle. But this is the funny part. They weren't even there. So they had traveled to Santa Rosa, California for Thanksgiving, but we used their spare key and got in their house. So it was awesome. They're like huge house in Redding. This is a big upgrade from my apartment. And I, uh, well, we wake up. Uh, only to find out that as of like 4 p.m. on Tuesday that the 5 was closed, 10 miles north of Reading, northbound traffic was not being let through. So here I am stuck, and I'm like, okay, this is my own fault. I brought this upon myself. How am I going to break this news to Aaron and Jeremy and Brent? You know, I'm like, oh, gosh. So, So ultimately, guys, I was just waiting all day Wednesday, waiting for waiting for the five to open up, and it didn't end up opening up till like, too late. Um, But thankfully, we have such an awesome crew here at the church, uh, and they were able to take care of it. Was anybody here at the Thanksgiving service? Okay, good. You guys are better employees than I am, and you don't even work here. Okay, so I get back on Thursday. We ended up having Thanksgiving at my aunt's house without her, and... um, We had it early. We get back on Thursday, and I start to study for this, Um, and obviously that's a little late, but I was on vacation, and typically when I deal with youth, I'm like, I'm good. I could study for an hour, and let's just do it. So I start to study, um, and today is, as you know, is December 1st, I think, and it's the first day of Advent, right? We're celebrating Advent, which means the coming of something important or somebody, and as Christians, we get to celebrate Advent to, you know, one like build anticipation to celebrate the coming king when Jesus came the first time, but also understanding that we live in this middle ground where Jesus came once, but he's coming again. So we're in the middle of that. So today is Advent week number one. And so here's the thing about me is I, I like this stuff. I'm, I'm sort of rebellious, okay? So Jeremy and Sam, because they're like, I don't know, they plan the Advent teaching calendar. So I get a text from Jeremy And it was like, Advent week number one, main point, scripture, other scripture, gospel point. I'm like, well, that seems easy enough. I got everything laid out for me, and in my mind, I'm like, why isn't Jeremy just teaching this week? (laughs) Thanks, bro. And Jeremy and I are different, and the wording of what he was saying was also very different. Like, If any of these things came out of my mouth, you would be like, that's not really you, Mitch. You can't trick us. But for two days, hear me out, I labored. If you went to my apartment and got a peek through... The window to the living room table, you would see me and you would be genuinely concerned for my well-being, okay? I'm not joking. I was sitting there in a chair with three different sermons that I'd written over the past two days, just boom, 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 and I was like, they all suck. I can't say this, and so I'm sitting there with my head on the table like this, And I'm groaning, making loud noise. I'm just like, and my daughters are up in bed and they're running down. They're like, daddy, are you okay? We heard weird noises. We thought it was a goat man. And I was like, (laughs) the heck are you talking about? And I'm literally, I don't get stressed out that much, but I'm literally just panicking because I'm like, it hasn't clicked my brain isn't working. I can't go up there on stage and just say what Jeremy told me to say because i got to feel it. I'm a passionate guy. That's why I like worship because I can just lay it all out there. And when I'm hitting the stinking drums, it looks like I'm so angry at the things because I am just I need to release it all. So I was like, man, I, I can give the church information and make the elders happy and teach what they want me to teach. I'm like, I have to do it. I have to do it. And then I'm sitting there and my poor wife comes in the kitchen, she just starts rubbing my back, like she knows something's wrong, she's like, are you okay, and I'm like, uh-uh. like I, I just want to curl up in the fetal position, and she's like, do you want to talk about it, or do you just want me to sit here in silence, great question to ask, especially for you men, if your wife's having a hard time, never mind, yeah. But uh, I, I was just paralyzed. I don't know what it was. And again, I'm, I'm not like tooting my own horn, but like over the past four years, I've, I think I've taught more Bible studies than any other pastor at this church with youth and camp and junior high and high school. I love doing it, but like something about this, I just, it wasn't clicking and it was driving me off the wall. I was like, I'm, I'm straight up a creek. So my wife eventually... Asked the question, she's like, "So, is there anything else that you could teach? You know, if you changed it up." And I was like, "Yeah." And then I started the the, the burden started to leave. And I was like, well, I've kind of had this on my heart for a couple weeks, and like, boom, this and this and this scripture, and then all of a sudden my countenance started to change, and I was like, well, I'm getting all fired up on these passages that I've been thinking about and talking about for a while now that I just love to teach on, and she's looking at me, and, and eventually she's like, huh, that sounds great. Like, maybe you should do that. And I was like, but Aaron's going to kill me. I already talked to him about this. So all this to say... Today is Advent week number one. (laughs) And I'm not going to talk about it anymore. (laughs) With that said, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you better believe I had multiple conversations with Aaron this morning already, and I didn't mention this. I was just like, (laughs) let him be surprised with the rest of them. So quick story, guys, while you're turning to Ephesians. The year was 2008 or 9. I was a freshman at San Diego State University. I prided myself in being an athlete. I was skinnier back then. There's a lot of sun, so you walk out of your shirt off. Oregon, you can kind of hide it, you know what I'm saying? But freshman there, and uh, I was never good enough to play any sports, obviously, for a D1 college. And so we decided, with a bunch of outcasts, to start an intramural dodgeball team, which is by far the funnest thing that you could ever do in college. Intramural dodgeball team, and, and I remember we had played a tournament in the playoffs And we would play best of five, so you had to beat the other team three times to move up the bracket. And we were dominating everybody, which was so cool. And we got to the championship, and we kind of started to relax a little bit. We're like, man, we're fine. We got this. I'm not going to lie, our arms were really sore because of the little light dodgeballs, and we're just hucking them as hard as we can at the other team. And my shoulder was jacked up, so we just started popping 800 milligram ibuprofen, which is a horrible idea. My shoulder's never been the same since, but we couldn't feel anything at the moment. So we get to the championship round, and we go up 2-0 on this squad, and we start to relax, and so we start bringing in some guys that weren't as good. We're like, we got this. It's fine. They got to be this three times in a row. There's no way that's going to happen. Well, Slowly but surely, uh, they started to beat us. One game at a time, we went down, and then we started panicking. And if you know anything about sports, right, if you get in the moment where you're panicking and you're too tight, you're not thinking, like, it goes downhill really fast. So all of a sudden, it was tied up 2-2. And championship round, and I just remember that each of us had a certain gift. Like, some of us were good at throwing, some of us were good at catching. And, and it came down to, like, there were multiple guys still left on their team, and there was me and my buddy Justin. And Justin could catch, right? But we're sitting there, we're like, all right, if you catch a ball, one of our guys comes in, and we got to start firing. But this team, they're being a bunch of cowards, and they're standing on the back line, you know what I'm saying? They're not being aggressive. They're not throwing us any balls. So we ultimately... Uh, Justin gets out and I'm just grabbing any balls I can firing them, my arm's about to fall off and I just remember in, in a moment of desperation I ran up to the front line I'm like, I gotta try to lure him in to do something so I just ran up right to the center line like five feet from it and I just stood there and I baited him to throw it at me I'm like, I'm either gonna go down in glory or I'm gonna catch this stinking ball and it's gonna be the coolest thing that I've ever done in my whole life so I'm standing there and of course, the guy got cocky. He grabs the ball, and he he's uh, hiding. Like, the clock was going to run out, but he starts walking towards me. I'm like, bring it, sucker, let's go. So I stand there, no joke, and he throws the ball. Boom. And it was high, and I swear it was like Matrix all over again. I was like, boom. And it just sticks right in the hands, and my guy gets to come in, but we lost anyways. Okay, so that was it. But... Here's the thing, that was the greatest sports moment I think I've ever had in my whole life. Intramural dodgeball, the year was 2008 or 9. that was it, and we still lost. It was horrible, it hurts me to this day. Why was that the greatest sports moment of my life? I'm getting somewhere, trust me. Well, I loved sports from a young age, but I wasn't a hard worker. In other words, I, I, in baseball and, and football, I was somewhat gifted. My dad was a coach, and he lo- we, that's like what we did, right? We just watched 160 Giants games a year, and we would just go. Like, it was awesome. We'd play all the time. But my dad, who had been there, played like semi-pro ball and played in college, he was always telling me, Mitch, you have enough of the gifting, but you don't work hard enough. And of course, like most high schoolers, I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And, and by the way, in eighth grade, like I was the star quarterback. My class had like 30 kids in it, but like I was, I, was, I was the man, right? I was the guy that threw the ball and the kids would complain like, oh, my hands hurt. And so I was like, oh, sweet. So I go to freshman year in high school. Again, my dad's saying, you need to work harder. You need to work harder. You need to put in effort and work. You're going to make the team but you're not going to play very much, bud. I'm like, nah, whatever. So I show up. I'll never forget this. Freshman year of football, I'm like warming up my shoulder I'm like I got this. And I went to the school because my dad went there, and they were pretty huge on sports. It was the first day of football practice, and right before me and my buddy Robbie were digging post holes for my dad in the yard. And I was not in shape because I didn't work hard. I didn't hit the gym, you know what I'm saying? So I'm digging post holes and no joke, me and Robbie drive to football practice first day and the coach out of nowhere is like, all right, line it up. We got to see what we got. We're running 40 yard dashes. And I'm all, oh crap. So I'm like tired, right? So I'm like, alright, it's my time to shine. And a couple guys went before me, and if you know like 40-yard dash times at all, there's a couple dudes my freshman year, they weren't crazy fast, but they ran four 840s. One guy who's going to play quarterback ran a 4.840 that's pretty stinking fast. The pros... And football run like four fours, four threes, some of them. And here I am, tall, lanky guy with growing pains galore, just not quite grown into my body. And I step up to that line. (laughs) I'm like, oh, please, Jesus. And so I get down and I start running. (laughs) I ran a seven-second, 40-yard dash that day. (laughs) From that point forward, I did not throw a football that whole year. I was third string offensive lineman. And all of a sudden, big shot Mitch from Cali Kalmekak in Windsor, California, goes to high school and like my football career is over. I should have listened to my dad, right? Like I needed to put in effort and work. I was on the team. If they won, I won. But I didn't get to play in the game very much. Today, guys, I have it on my heart to talk to you guys about something that's maybe a little controversial in the church, maybe something we don't love to talk about very much, but today I want to talk to you guys about effort, effort. Now, we're going to get into this more, I want to spoil just a little bit. Here at Heritage, and and all believers, we're grace people. It's all about grace. Saved by grace, sustained by grace. And I think a lot of times in the name of grace, this is going to be maybe difficult to hear, but in the name of grace, sometimes we excuse ourselves from pursuing the holiness that God's called us to and putting in the effort necessary to do this. I I will explain more. Ephesians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to start with the foundation here so that nobody is confused. It says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, Before I go any further in this, I need to make sure that everybody here is on the same page, that when we're talking about our justification as people, as believers, when we're talking about being made righteous in the sight of God, there is only one reason that we could ever stand before him and be blameless it's the grace of God we're saved by grace through faith here's another passage that can help bring clarity here Romans 5 1 through 2 it's not much you don't have to turn there but it says therefore since we have been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ so Back in our first passage in Ephesians, we were dead in sin and trespasses, following the prince of the power of the air, following the passion and desires of the flesh, and we were in a very bad spot with nothing to expect except the wrath of God, but we've been saved by grace through faith. We've been justified by faith. And now instead of being at enmity with God. We have peace with him. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the bedrock. That's the foundation. And I'm making this abundantly clear. Because again I don't want anybody to. Misunderstand. What it is I'm saying. So it is. Most definitely clear guys. That we are saved by grace. Through faith. But if you're anything like me, you've been walking with Jesus for a while, you start to think that you should be doing things better, right? There is a little bit of truth to it. I'm going to get into that. But it's easy to start thinking, as the Galatian church did, that Jesus and his grace is no longer enough to justify us. The Galatians dealt with this. There were some people coming in. They started telling them that, hey, um, it's not just Jesus anymore. It's Jesus plus fulfilling this certain part of the law that you need to do to be justified before God. So Paul comes along, and he rebukes them. And I think we can learn from this. And we're jumping all around, but that's what we're going to be doing all morning. So Galatians 3.1 says... Oh foolish Galatians, Ouch! who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just to make sure you're with me, did they receive the Spirit by works of the law or hearing with faith? Thank you. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the Scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So he says this, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. So he's saying this, guys. It's not that we're saved by grace and then we transfer over to a works-based system. It's not that we're justified before God once and then all of a sudden we mature out of that and it's no longer grace that justifies us, but the things that we do are po- like following part of the law. It's not just that we're saved by grace, but that grace is what sustains us every single day for the rest of our lives. I promise you that when we stand before God, you're going to have nothing that you could offer up to show Him you are worthy to be loved. It's only going to be grace because of Jesus. And that doesn't ever stop. Just to drive this home even more. And again, I'm bouncing around. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says this, from the least of the apostles in verse 9 unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Not just by the grace of God, I'm saved, but he says grace has been working every single second of every single day in my life and anything that I am, I owe to the grace of God. And a little bit of a hint What we're going to be talking about, he says this, And this grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Read that again. But the grace of God was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So, saved by grace... We never leave that foundation. We're sustained by grace. And I know that these are things that we love to talk about a lot. This is great news. This is great news. But that's not all that grace does. And this is a passage I do want you to turn to. I want you to turn to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2. I read this verse a couple weeks ago again, and it was highlighted in my Bible, and I had circled a bunch of words in this passage, and and it just blew me away again. Because to kind of go back to my dumb sports analogy, right? Like grace, grace, by grace, we're adopted into the family of God. Like we're on the team. We're children of the Lord Most High, no longer destined for doom and judgment, but because of Christ, accepted and loved and cherished. Gets us on the team. But but check this out, there's more, there's more. It says, for the grace of God, verse 11, chapter 2, has appeared. Bringing salvation for all people. We've talked about that. And then check this out. That same grace has appeared, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself For us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works what does the grace do it brings salvation for all people we never leave that grace but that same grace trains us to what renounce ungodliness worldly passions and live self-controlled upright and godly lives whoa we don't like to talk about that as much. I don't. Why? Because it's challenging. It's moments like these. If somebody's going to come at me with this, be like, oh, you need to pursue by the power of God, by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God. We'll get into that. You need to pursue holiness, Mitch. How are you growing in holiness? And am like, I am holy, bro. Jesus did everything for me. That's true, but it's kind of this, this, paradox if you would that you find in scripture it's funny we are called blameless and holy because of what Jesus did on the cross yet still in the new testament there's a command in first 1 Peter 1:16 1, that says this be holy even as I am holy how can God call us holy and justified before him yet still call us to pursue holiness positionally holy but we're still encouraged to press in more because the grace of God trains us to renounce ungodliness when before we are saved we walked in the passions and desires of the flesh whenever we wanted to but it's the grace of God that trains us to lay these things aside next passage second peter chapter 1 And I think this will bring the most clarity. So we're going to stay here for the longest amount of time. Give you guys a second to flip there. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. First thing I want to point out about this passage. A lot of times we can elevate early church members and apostles and leaders. And Peter's writing to this church and he says right off the bat, I just want to make it all clear that we're standing on level ground here. It's not that I'm a saint worthy of having my picture in a church and for you to like pray to me. We're all saints and you guys, church, and that same thing would apply to us. You guys have a faith, you've obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. It's not like Jesus, apostles, pastors, and lay people, right? It's like everybody is under the lordship of Jesus with a faith of equal standing. That's going to be important in a little bit. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3 His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. "...through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature." Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Okay, recap. Faith of equal standing and God in His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And he goes on to say that we, because of the promises of God, are partakers in the divine nature. That's not some new age spiritual crap. That's him saying that because we've believed in Jesus and put our faith in him, the Holy Spirit of God has come in and lives inside of the believer. So we have the Spirit of God giving us everything we need for life and godliness, and we have a faith of equal standing with every other Christian that's ever lived. There's nothing like crazier about Peter's faith. They're all the same. So this is what he says in verse 5. This is crazy. For this reason, because of those things, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. Because you have everything you need for life and godliness now, therefore, make every effort unto virtue. Make every effort unto godliness. Make every effort unto knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and brotherly affection. And love. Why? Why does he say this? Verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I just be real with you guys? That's my worst nightmare. Like, Yeah, I get to be on the team, but I'm unwilling to make every effort to godliness and virtue by the power of the Spirit, empowered by the grace of God. I'm unwilling to take those steps so that I live a life that's unfruitful and ineffective. Like, I only got one shot at this. I want my time to count. And I know this isn't popular, right? Like, Mitch, what's just grace? I, I know that's why I started off by saying that. I don't want you to blend the two. But we're still called to do this because guys I don't know about you but I desperately want to enter into eternity knowing at least like again by the grace of God it wasn't me it was grace like Paul said but I can enter into eternity and say man my life was effective and fruitful by the grace of God I wasn't just on the team sitting on the bench because I was unwilling to put in the sweat And this isn't some secret formula, but it says again, if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective. And then he says this, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Do you guys get that? It's supremely important. The guy's like, man, if you can't see this, then you must have forgotten that Jesus paid for all of it that you're cleansed and righteous and perfect in other words it's that stuff our righteousness in Christ that fuels us or motivates us to do this stuff and if you're not making every effort then you must have forgotten what Jesus did It's not that we're working to get something. It's not that we're working to get the approval of God. It's that we have the approval of God and we have everything we need so we get to make this effort to live godly lives so that we can be fruitful and effective. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. This is verse 10. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Again, not a formula, but I think it would be good for us to understand. You guys have everything you need. You're not lacking anything. God's grace empowers you. His Spirit has filled you. You're partakers of the divine nature. And you have been cleansed of former sins. So you are free to run. A passage that most of you guys have probably heard before in 1 Corinthians 9. This is Paul talking. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self control in all things, they do it to receive a perishable wreath but we, an imperishable wreath. Guys, going back, why was the dodgeball moment the best sports moment I've ever had? Because I didn't exercise self-control in all things. I didn't wake up at six in the morning. I thought I had it all down. How much more should we exercise self-control in all things knowing that we're running the race not to receive just a wreath that's going to go on our head and then die like they used to in the Olympics, but instead an imperishable wreath a crown, a reward. So what does Paul say? I don't run aimlessly. He's not lollygagging around. Okay, He doesn't box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body And I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He's like, I'm in a race. I'm going to run as fast as I possibly can, knowing that only one receives the prize in a real race. I'm going to run just like that, because i got a reward waiting for me. And I can't afford to swerve to the right or swerve to the left. I can't afford to trip and stumble. I can't afford to look back at the world and wonder if I'm missing out on anything great over here that I used to indulge in in high school or whatever. I don't have time for that. i got to fix my eyes on Jesus and Jesus alone and sprint as hard as I can. And I need to exercise self-control in all things so that I have the endurance to make it. I don't want to be ineffective and I want to be unfruitful and I don't want to fall. I want to make it. The book of Hebrews, chapter 3. There's warning and instruction. for us as a church as it relates to these things. Hebrews 3.12. If your Bible pages were not bent and creased, they are after today. As so you're flipping through those pages. Chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but that verse is 100% true. Sin is very, very deceitful. None of us are above slipping into it. But that's why he calls us as a church to exhort one another every day in grace in our pursuit of holiness, reminding us of the finished work of Jesus, reminding us that we want to be fruitful and effective so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see that? We need each other. We need each other. This isn't like, hey, don't judge me. Don't, you don't know me. Don't come up to me and tell me that I'm doing this wrong. No, listen, if we're all running a race, we all want everybody to finish the race, and so, as he says, like, only one receives the prize. Well, that that kind of fails really quickly when you think about our walks with Christ. We're all supposed to run that hard, but we're running with a group of people. And if I see a brother or a sister take a tumble and a fall, I'm not just going to leave them and be like, Ha-ha, peace, like, you didn't make it, I'm going. No, we got to lend a hand and pull them up. Jude, the last verse in Jude says a lot of this, like talking about snatching people out of the fire. We're running with people and we all can get dragged down into this deceitfulness of sin. We need to run the race well, remind ourselves of this. Hebrews 12 says the same exact thing, that we should lay aside every sin and weight that so easily entangles us. If you're running the race and there's something in your life that's dragging you down, if there's something in your life like a stumbling block that you just keep putting in front of yourself while you're running the race and tripping over it, standing up, putting it out in front of you again and tripping over it, put it away because sin is wickedly deceitful and we need to be able to, by the grace of God, encourage one another and exhort one another that we might not stay now, there's a couple more passages that are really cool. Um, as we talk about sin more, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, uh, talk, it's called the Hall of Fame of Faith or the Hall of Faith. And in a certain section, it starts talking about Moses time do i got left cool starts talking about moses in verse 23 uh, 24 it says by faith moses when he's grown up refused to be called the son of pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of god than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. I think there's a truth in there that all of us have experienced to some point or another. This, guys, that sin, it looks really fun at times. If we're honest, right? Fleeting pleasures of sin talking to my high school students a little bit ago and, and to kind of prove this point of like, man, sin looks good sometimes. We all got to be on our guard. In Proverbs 5, uh, it starts talking about uh, the the adulterous woman, this woman that's out to 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 lure people in. It says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. Right? You walk past her door and sin in all forms looks so good sometimes. It looks juicy. Sometimes we just want to forget everything. Just say, forget. I'm going after. I just need to indulge. And you, you make a provision for the flesh as the Bible tells us not to do. And then once you... Take a... Um Bite of that sin, whatever it is, you find what the next verse says, that in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Listen, here's the thing with sin, and this is an exhortation, not me saying that I'm perfect, not me saying that I've made it, but as we're in this fight together, listen, sin is never as great as it appears that it's going to be, and the consequences of sin are always way, way worse than you think they're going to be in the moment. think all of us can experience that it looks really good but that path leads to death and destruction so i'm going to close up pretty soon guys but i'm just going to read this don't flip there first john chapter 2 verse 1 this is the best news My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. I'm writing to you so that you may not sin. We as believers should be fighting sin with everything we got. But, (laughs) if anyone does sin, which would be all of us, if anyone does sin, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I'm going to read that one more time. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, a supporter, a backer. Jesus is standing at the right hand of God after He ascended into heaven, and He's our advocate. The Bible tells us that He's interceding on our behalf. He's for us constantly. There's nothing that we can do to pull us away from the love of God in Christ Jesus. His saving work was perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It's all been done. So again, I think the encouragement is needed for us as a group, as a body, to say this, exhort one another so that you might not be deceived by sin fight sin with everything you got i hate sin part of me still loves it but i hate it how can that how can those two things live in the same space i don't know there's the flesh and the spirit and they're at war with one another but that's why i need friends i need people to come and tell me and help me in this fight to say mitch that's not you anymore the old man is dead you don't have to do that you've been forgiven of so much you have a faith of equal standing with peter you have the spirit of god fight sin, in Romans 12, right after it says to lay aside every sin and wait, he says this verse is stinking awesome, he says, look at Jesus, and he says, you and your fight against sin, you haven't yet resisted to the point of bloodshed, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, dang right, when I'm fighting against sin, I'm gonna give you everything I got, because I want to live a fruitful, effective life, and then when I get to the end, is Paul was talking about we're going to get the crown, the reward, the imperishable wreath, and this is the best part. We're going to get to eternity, and as one of my good friends says, I want to Get in the gates, just wrung out, exhausted, because I spent everything I had on the kingdom. And I want to stand before God. And if I hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, and we get the crown, the reward, and we're like, yeah, the race is finished. I put in effort, I, I labored for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom. And it wasn't even me, it was all your grace. And we're going to take our crowns and we're just going to lay them right back down at Jesus' feet because He's the only one that's worthy. And any work that we put in, it's God that gets the credit and the glory. Any time that we accomplish something for the kingdom, it's His Spirit in us and His grace that empowered us, but we can't use that as an excuse to not do anything. We have to be challenged in this. And then when we fall, because we will, When we stumble, should I say, we have to remember that repentance is a gift. That God, like the Father in the story of the prodigal son, is not there just wagging his finger at us, telling us that we're never going to measure up and that we suck. Instead, he sees us coming on the horizon when we turn from sin and turn back to Him and remember the the gracious like mercy of our dad and He comes running out to us and He says, Welcome back. I missed you. I love you. And so guys, we consistently and constantly remember that when we trip and stumble, we turn back to Jesus knowing that we have an advocate and we were never running as fast as we can to earn God's favor anyways, but instead... We get to continue on in the race, knowing that it's ours because of what Jesus did. So, guys, we—I'm um, going to invite my wife back up to sing. But, kind of with all this stuff in, in your mind, uh, I do want to want to challenge you guys. If you're hanging on to sin and wait, you just know lay it down. I don't want to see anybody stumble. We all want to finish this race and celebrate the grace of our God. And if you're sitting here and and you're like, Mitch, I know my sin is ever before me. I'm a wretch. And you're on that side of things. And you have to remember that you have an advocate where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. doesn't give us license to just do whatever we want. But where there's a lot of sin, there's always a lot more grace to be had. And I don't understand why God operates that way. I don't know why He does it, but it's who He is, and He's chosen to lavish us with love and grace that we do not deserve. So we're going to open up the tables of communion come have a meal with the Lord, take the body, take the wine, the grape juice, and we're going to sing some more songs to the Lord as we just, one, repent of sin, and two, remember the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Amen.